0: All right, the rest of us, let's take out our Bibles and find Romans chapter 5 as we're ready to move on in that book, that letter to the Roman church, and be breaking into Romans 5 this week. As, you meant, as we turn there, I'll, I'll mention this announcement too. Just a reminder if you're a, a boy tenor over or man that wants to play in the uh, Reformation Bowl this this year, the football game we've done in the past. Uh, make sure you sign up for that. It is interesting. The last time my team beat Graham's team, and I have the trophy in my office because we've got a little trophy for this. And I noticed in the email a couple weeks ago how he was kind of putting the gauntlet down of how he was going to take it for me this year. And now, conveniently, He's going to be gone that weekend visiting family. Apparently, they can't see 51 other weekends of the year. It's just that one weekend. And incidentally, it's the same weekend we're planning a work day for the coolers and the trees. He's planning it. Yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. No, sir. Oh, well. Well. Romans 5. We've spent quite a number of months in these first very important four chapters of Paul's letter to the Roman church. And remember, in especially the second half of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4, he was really trying to emphasize one simple really profound and wonderful truth, and that was found in chapter 3, verse 28. Remember he says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. We talked about how really controversial that was then and frankly, even is now and has been throughout church history. That we are right with God, apart from our works, apart from the law, just only by faith in Jesus Christ he declares us righteous and forgives us of all our sins. And he used, of course, in chapter 4 the example of Abraham to demonstrate that very fact. And now, though, in chapter 5... Especially in this first uh, half of the chapter, there is a transition here. And what we find are four, at least four, but four that I found this week, and we'll get to one or two of them, four great, awesome results of justification in the life of every believer. Things that we can know to be true, And are sure because we are justified people. That's where he's going here in these verses. Let's read chapter 5. And I'll just read the first 11 verses even though we'll just be in the first 5 this morning. Just for context. Romans 5 beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's just pause now and ask God to bless this passage for us. Father, We come before you as a very needy people every moment of our lives, whether we recognize it or not. We depend upon you for all things, including the grace to comprehend this passage at a heart level and be able to joyfully apply it to ourselves and to our lives. We need your spirit who is dwelling within us to illuminate this passage and help us. So we pray for that. I ask for his gifting as it is something I do not have by my nature. It is something that he provides for me not for my own benefit but for the benefit of his people. I ask for that gifting now to, to teach and to exhort And to preach the word. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me give you the outline for a couple of weeks here in these first five verses. First of all, in the first half of verse one, we have a reminder of justification by faith. And we'll talk about that for just a few minutes. And then in the second half of verse 1 begins the results of justification. So we have justification. Now, what results of that can we see or experience or believe? And there are four that I found here in these verses. Number one, because we are justified, we have peace with God. That's verse 1. Number two, because we are justified, we have access into this grace in which we stand We'll talk about what that means in verse 2. Because we are justified, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 2. And because we are justified, we rejoice even in our sufferings. Verses 3 through 5. Let's look first at verse 1. In the first half of that verse, the reminder of justification by faith. Paul says, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, and we'll just pause right there and let's park on this for just a couple of minutes, we could insert at the end of that, I think, by now pretty safely, we are justified by faith and we could say, in Christ alone, or we could say we are justified by faith alone, you see, we could add those things, or we could say we are justified by faith apart from works apart from good deeds or anything else, it's just in Christ alone. So I think we understand by now, those of us who have been here, what, they're, what he's meaning there. And of course he begins this verse with the word therefore, that is that foundational word that tells you that he's not just diverting into some brand new topic, but that he's building on what he's just said and going to apply it in some way. And it will be very helpful to you if, when you read through Paul's letters, and there are 13 of them in the New Testament, and as you read through those letters to understand this is the way he writes. He is very logical and progressive and one thing builds on the next and it's all connecting some of you are going through the book of James and some of us have been talking about that book and we remark that's not that way at all that seems almost the opposite he puts in something here and then he'll divert over here to something else and then he comes back so it takes a little thought John sometimes is the same exact way Paul's though is very progressive and logical He's always building on what he said before because with all truth and with all doctrine, see friends, there's always application to it and more that can be expounded on and more that can be built on. So be a careful reader of Paul's letters and you'll see that very clearly. But I want to draw your attention to the way he phrases this. He says, therefore, since... We have been justified by faith. And then he goes on with those four results of justification that I gave to you earlier. That word since in this English Standard Translation is important because it clues us in on something. I don't know if you caught it. It clues us in on the fact that what he's about to say is Only for those who have been justified by faith. It's for no one else. No one else can claim these four things that he just lists off unless, that's the idea, unless they've been justified by faith. Since we have been justified by faith, then all these other things are true. But if we haven't been justified by faith, none of these things are true and none of these things apply to us. Why is that important? Well, think about the very first thing he's going to say here in verse 1. He says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Well, friends, what he's shown in the first three chapters of this letter is that that is not true of anyone by nature. No one is at peace with God when they're born into this world. Remember, they're all under God's wrath. They're in real trouble with God. He can't apply it to that. The simple fact of standing in grace, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, that can't apply to anybody except those who are justified. Or a hope of glory, a hope of an eternal glory with God and being glorified by God, that applies to no one except those who have been justified by faith. You see, it's very important to see these things. So the results that we're going to mention in just a few minutes or begin looking at are for only for those who have been justified by faith Second, notice in this phrase here, therefore we have been justified by faith, Paul begins now in this series, even of what I've read all the way through verse 11, he begins using these plural pronouns, right? Things like this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, right? Right? We stand, it's our Lord, we rejoice, our hearts, the Spirit given to us. And I think he's saying something there very important. It's subtle, but it's important. That these results of justification are for everyone who's been justified. Every single person who's been justified. The Apostle Paul, the people in the Roman church, and friends, you and I, It's it's everyone has been justified, therefore all these people that have been justified, we together, says Paul, no exceptions to this, and therefore we all enjoy the blessings of justification together. This means that no Christian should be treated as a second-class citizen. It doesn't matter if you were just brought into the family of God through faith yesterday or if you've been walking with Him for 50 or 60 years. It doesn't matter if you have a seminary education or didn't even get out of elementary school. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you've served. None of those things are relevant. All of us share these things together, you see. It's a wonderful truth of true gospel Christianity. Paul can confidently assert that all the people who have been justified by faith are loved by God and are right with God and have the hope of heaven for their future. We are free now by God's love for us and this right status with him to serve, not in competition with one another not trying to earn a better place or get more from God, but simply because we are all recipients of the wonderful blessings that were secured for us through Jesus Christ. The apostles are wonderful at pointing this out. Think about these guys. They were apostles, hand-selected by Jesus Christ, specially gifted in ways no other Christian throughout the history were gifted. Leaders of the church with authority to come into churches in the first century and start telling people what to do because they're apostles of Jesus Christ and yet they say things like this. Listen to what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith, listen, of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're on the same level as the apostle Peter or the apostle Paul when it comes to your standing before God. Therefore, friends, we should have humble minds that on the one hand never look down on another believer and see them as inferior to us, you see. And on the other hand, friends, we never need to feel inferior to others. Well, they may have different giftings than ours and they may have a seminary education and they may have served the Lord for many years but God doesn't want his people walking around feeling inferior to others. The standing you have is the same standing before God that the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul had, you see. Now, Thirdly, notice this in the way he phrases this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, and I want to draw out this fact, we have been justified. Now, I know we've talked about this, but let me emphasize it here for a moment. If you are in Christ, meaning you have placed your faith in Jesus and you're trusting in him now, understand that you've already been justified. This was the earth-shattering news that Paul is bringing out in the gospel. Justification for the believer isn't something that we're waiting to see what will happen in the future. Like when we stand before God, he'll look at all the good things we've done and he'll make that determination if he's going to say, okay, I'll declare you righteous. That's not how it works, is it? Do you know from the moment you believed, God declared you righteous? Just like Abram. He believed God. And what does it say? God credited to him as righteousness. That's how it works. From the moment you believe, you become justified. So if you put your faith in Christ 20 years ago, know that you're a justified person. That's the status you have before God. And all the wonderful truths of that, like the forgiveness of your sins and all the righteousness you need now to enter into the kingdom... Justification is something God does once for all to anyone who believes in his son, and it's a settled event. It's once for all. And it's this teaching, friends, and the reason I'm emphasizing it is because it differentiates the true gospel from every other gospel. Every other gospel is let's wait and see, let's do our best and see how it works out. This gospel says, trust in Christ, you're justified. That's settled once for all, and it never changes. See, I think one of the issues we struggle with when it comes to justification and doctrine like this is you don't feel justification. See, justification isn't a feeling at all. You don't feel justified, and frankly, when we walk around, we often think and feel very unjustified. Unjustified because of the way sometimes that we act or the choices we make. But see, justification, like everything else, is something that the righteous have to take by faith apart from how they feel. They trust that they have the righteousness they need because the object of their faith is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, you see. We just know we're justified by faith. We believe that we're justified by faith. It's an objective fact, and it's something that God does. You know, turn forward to Romans eight just for a minute. I'm going to show you this, and if you look at Romans eight and verse thirty, and Paul has what has been called throughout church history the golden chain of salvation. It cannot be broken. And he says in verse 30, those whom he, that is God, predestined, he also called. That means that at a moment in your life, you experienced what theologians have called the effectual calling of God. What does that mean? Well, there is a general call of the gospel that goes to everybody. When you witness to somebody, you say, hey, repent and believe. But the vast majority of them say, no thank you. But there are some, like you, who, for reasons you probably couldn't even describe, heard the gospel, and your heart was moved towards it, and you believed. That's because God was calling you specifically in a way that required his power to work in your heart. That's why you're not any better than anyone else because you believed or any smarter or can make any better decisions. It's because he called you effectually. Those whom he predestined, he also called. But notice this for for our purpose this morning. Those whom he called, he also justified. Right there and then. You are justified from the moment you believed. And nothing can get you out of this situation. That's what's wonderful. He says, he goes on to say, he also glorified them, which is like, wow, because I thought we had the hope of glory in the future. In the mind of God, glorification is a done deal for you. And Paul says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, bring it all to pass for us because of the cross. And listen to this in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In other words, no one can come into the presence of God and say, did you see what Jess did this week? Were you paying attention, God, to what he did? I have a charge I need to bring against him. He sinned against you. And therefore, being a just and holy God, your obligation, God, is to condemn him. To cast him off forever. But nobody can do that, can they? Because it's God who justifies, and notice this in verse 34, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So God could say something to the effect of, no, what you need to do is look at my son, whom I sent into the world and lived for Jess a perfect life, and died on the cross for Jess a perfect atonement, and rose again the third day and is now interceding for Jess right right here at my right hand, and therefore since that cannot change, since Christ isn't going anywhere, since there could be no charge brought against my son, and Jess is in my son by faith, therefore there is no condemnation to him. This status of justification, friends, once you have it, in other words, what Paul is reiterating in chapter 8, he just wants everybody to understand this, you can't become unjustified, that's an impossibility because all of your sins were cared for in the cross. No one can ever take this justified status for you. That's how wonderful it is. You know, friends, your, your justification was never anchored in your performance anyway. Remember that. Don't ever forget it. Your performance was irrelevant. Irrelevant. To your justification. It was only the performance of Jesus that mattered. And that's why I've said it before. When you read those gospel accounts and you see Jesus living his life under the law of God and loving God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind, loving his neighbor as himself, you're cheering him on because he's doing it for you. And then when you get to the cross and you recognize he's going there for your sins. So you could be the blessed man that David talks about, the blessed man against whom the Lord will for no reason count his sin, you see. The justified man or woman because Christ died for your sins and then he rose again the third day and your heart rejoices because the sacrifice was accepted and you know he was exalted to the right hand of the Father where he remains interceding for you forever, you see your justification was never dependent on you it was it's anchored to jesus christ and that makes it a secure justification it's one thing in our life we can't mess up it's one thing in our life we can't lose It's one thing in our life that stays steady and constant and that you can bank on every single morning. We have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, that leads me to the first result. Look at this in verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God now through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible talks about two kinds of peace, generally speaking. The first kind, and it's not what Paul's talking about here, but I'll bring it up, is a felt peace. We know what that is. That's what we want in times of turmoil. What do you want in times of trial? You need peace in your heart because your, your heart just feels like this... Uh, emotional hurricane within you, and your soul is not at rest, and you can't sleep, and uh, there's, there's problems all around, and you have anxiousness and anxiety, and you can feel that inner turmoil. And one of the types of peace that God promises is this peace that passes understanding that He gives to believers in those very times, if they'll trust in Him. So you have, as an example, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving now, let your requests be made known to God. And here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, hearts, minds, inner peace tranquility, trusting in God, knowing he's got this, whatever it is. And that's one wonderful blessing of being a child of God. That is not, however, the peace Paul is referring to. Paul is referring to what we'll call relationship peace with God. It's not an emotional peace from God. It's a relational peace with God. Remember, throughout the first three chapters of Romans, Paul went to great lengths to demonstrate that no one is at peace with God by nature. That everyone's relationship to the triune God is fractured because of sin. That from the Bible's whole story is that from Genesis 3 in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned. From that point on, there is this relational rift between God and human beings that cannot be crossed by human beings. That's the whole point. They're not at peace. Paul says they're now under his wrath. Look down at verse 10 of chapter 5. He says. For if while we were, catch this phrase now, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, you were an enemy, but now Through Jesus Christ, just like he says in verse 1, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the only way. We were enemies and now we're reconciled to God. That fractured relationship, that rift has been healed now and we've been brought into right relationship, a relationship no longer of enmity but of peace. We are no longer under wrath, but under grace, you see. It's that right relationship that Jesus has secured for us. When you look at the cross of Christ, understand that that is God's wrath for you, sinner. You're seeing what you deserve from God. God treated Jesus as an enemy. Punished in him your sins, you see, so that you can be reconciled to God. And now, friends, what Paul is teaching in chapter 5, verse 1 is, since you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God. And it doesn't matter how last week went for you. And it doesn't matter how consistent your devotional life has been or how fervent your prayers have been. Friends, I say this cautiously because I think most people in the room would understand what I mean. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed, even this week. You have relational peace with God, and that doesn't change since you've been justified. You have peace with God. What he wants his people to know. And do you know why every week we do a benediction of blessing from God upon his people? So that you know without a shadow of a doubt when you leave here, if you're in Christ, his disposition towards you is one of love and peace. You're not in a a race or an effort to get into right relations with God. You already have it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have peace with God. And I'm convinced, friends, if we don't learn to rest in that peace and to rest in that justification, we become frantic, legalistic people who wake up every day feeling, or going to bed at night feeling, I've not done enough today. God's not happy with me. I haven't done enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not passionate enough. I'm not serving enough. I'm not witnessing enough. You know, that's exhausting. This is God speaking. You understand this is not me saying this. This is God speaking by his spirit through the apostle Paul when he wrote this down 2,000 years ago knowing we would be talking about it this morning so that every one of you in Christ would hear this over and over again. Since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may have things you need to confess to God this morning before you come to the Lord's table. But those things that you need to confess didn't alter your justification or the peace with God you have. Do you see? It didn't change that. Relationally, you're right with Him. That leads me to this last one we'll talk about this morning just for a few minutes. That next phrase, and I love this. Verse two. Since we have been justified by faith, and listen to this, through him now, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, right, end of verse one, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay. Through him, that is Jesus, we have this access now, this access to God. And what that means is, in Paul's day, that word was used of somebody being brought into the presence of a very important person that they had no right to enter into his presence on their own. They had to be escorted in by someone who had the right to be in there almost like an introduction, being introduced to someone very important, being brought into the presence of a king, you don't just tromps in there, right? On your own, you had to be given access by someone. Well, who is that? That's Jesus. And of course, what does he do? He is the one who brings us into this right relationship with God. He is the one that brings us into fellowship with, With the triune God, we ungodly, unholy people brought into this, having access now, free access to the God who is, as Aaron prayed, holy, holy, holy. It's a wonderful thing. And he says, through him we have obtained access by faith, and now notice this, into This grace, and it's very specific, this grace that we're talking about here, this grace in which we stand, it's a standing of grace so that your access, you come into his access and you stand there, not in your own merit, but by God's grace to you. And this is a perfect grace. Let me explain what I mean by that. That word stand, in which we stand, is a verb, of course, okay? We're doing something here in which we stand. And I don't want to bring out too much of the underlying Greek usually because I don't want to try to make it like I'm smart or some Greek scholar or anything. I've had some privilege over the years to study a lot of Greek and have some good understanding of things, but there are times when the English language doesn't do it justice, and so I want to bring this out to you. This is a perfect standing under God's grace. Here's what I mean. There is a tense of verb that is very nuanced in the Greek language. It communicates something that happened in the past, but now catch this. It has continual bearing. That is the tense, the perfect tense, that's what it's called, the perfect tense, in which this verb is. In this grace in which we stand, started in the past with continual results so that no matter when you open this up, if whenever you open up chapter 5 and you get to that statement and you're wondering what is my standing with God today? You're standing with God today as as it's always been. It's perfectly a standing of grace, you see. Was the case, is the case, will always be the case. It isn't as though, friends, you started out on your Christian journey by grace and now God says, okay, you got it from here. You come into his presence. You come into this peace with him. You're in this standing with him by grace. That's how it began. That's how it will continue all the way through into eternity. You are the recipients of God's perfect grace. And it doesn't matter how yesterday went, does it? You stand before God in perfect grace every time you read this passage. And I'll just close with this. I love, John Newton is one of my favorite friends from the 18th century that I've had the privilege of spending time with in his writings. And he wrote, of course, the most well-known hymn that will ever be, and that is Amazing Grace. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but he wrote that on the occasion being a pastor and thinking about the years of ministry that God gave to him and it was at the conclusion of a year it was a hymn that he wrote for the new year for his congregation and he's reflecting back on the amazing grace not just of course we most, most of us know that John Newton was a drunken slave trader until God saved him transformed his life and then moved him eventually into pastoral ministry and of course he would reflect on that past grace right But then as he was thinking about his journey since then, all the way through to where he was, he was struck by the fact that it's still of grace, amazing grace. And so he wrote this line, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come, twas Grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You see, it's always a standing of grace, past, present, and future. If you are in Christ, you are justified, you have peace with God, and you are right now under His amazing grace to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for how clear Your Word is to us, the reminders it gives us, of how perfect this salvation is that you have accomplished for us through your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise you for it, even as we celebrate it now in his table. Father, I pray that you would be cleansing consciences and empowering your people to live for you out of justification this week, not for it, out of it, rejoicing in who you are and what you've done for us.